Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. the 182nd edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a slip screen across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, uh, I hope, uh, speaking of offenses and coordinating offenses, if you like uh, good passing games, you should watch the SEC Championship. It's going to be a fun one. A lot going on. Uh, Matt, it was good to see you uh, actually tonight at dinner. So, um, we yeah, it's, been, it's actually... been so long since I, I know. all of two hours. I know, right? So, well, we can't get started without the third amigo in the second city, a man who is pumped for the huge, huge home-and-home home announced today between Purdue and UConn. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, arguably the biggest news to come out of West Lafayette today is that schedule. It's always nice to see, uh, you know, Power 5 school really take on some of the, the heavyweights in the group of five huge opportunity for the american conference and um yeah i can't think of any other story from purdue for no, today. never never no. well uh we have gonna get into the championship week action uh, here in a little bit but we'll start it off with some quick slants so josh i'm gonna throw it out to you first yeah i just wanted to talk about a few of the teams that have already signed up for their bowls that's always exciting tis the season so the arkansas state red wolves they finished eight and four came up just short in their division in the sun belt but they're heading to the nova home loans arizona bowl out there in tucson that's a nice little trip for those fans and students get some nice nice uh warm weather in the desert you have to like that heading out from jonesboro and then just down the road from uh, coach's old stomping ground the georgia southern eagles they finished nine and three also had a really nice season in the sun belt but came up just short from that title game a uh, really good treat for them they get to go to montgomery alabama for the camellia bowl uh, my parents have been there. They really liked it. It's a fun southern city, great civil rights museum down there. And for the fans of that program, that cannot be a particularly long trip going to your neighboring state. And then two games, we do know the matchups. And the first is the Hawaii Bowl. The Rainbow Warriors will be the home team again, playing out in Honolulu. And Louisiana Tech will join them. Uh, if I am a Rustin native and a Bulldog fan, I really enjoy getting to go to Hawaii if I so wanted to. Also with that one, Josh, I think there might be a few points scored in that one. Yeah, there might be one or two scored. And then the whole game that I'm just eagerly awaiting the Big Ten to become affiliated with, that is, of course, the Bahamas Bowl. Because let's be honest, if you don't make it to a particularly good bowl game, you at least want to go to the Bahamas. And this year's participants, exciting for them, the FIU Panthers backing up last year's surprise bowl run with a second straight bowl. They went eight and four. Butch Davis has that thing clicking right now. They will take on the Toledo Rockets. They had a little bit of a disappointing season, not making the MAC title game, but still a nice season, seven and five. And 
if I had a choice between Ohio and winter and the Bahamas, I think I would be joining the Toledo Rockets down in the Bahamas. I don't think there are a lot of people who would be sticking around in the Buckeye State. So, no. All right. Well, Coach, since the last time we talked, we've had three coaches hired and one big retirement. So let's start at Georgia Tech. Paul mm-hmm. Johnson is saying sayonara after his going 82 and 59 uh, over his, uh, what was I think, 15 seasons at Georgia Tech, 13 seasons at Georgia Tech, something like that, Coach? Yeah. Uh, he came on in 2000. I think it was for the 2006 or the 2007 season. I can't quite remember. I was, I think, I want to say 2007. Yeah, so, yeah. So that would be that would be 12 seasons. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the Yellow Jacket fans uh, a little sick of the option attack. So I think you think they'll be going in a different direction. Yeah, I think so. I, I think their their admin is just kind of wanting to distance themselves from what uh, Paul Johnson did and, and his kind of. A philosophy. I, I know there's a lot of guys out there that would be a perfect transition to to come in and, and take over and actually probably blow the lid off the triple option scheme. But I don't think Georgia Tech wants to go in that direction anymore um, because it is so easy to recruit for for the spread in Atlanta. Um, I mean, you've got to if you wanted to go triple option, you've got a guy probably 20 minutes up the road at, at Kennesaw State, Brian Bohannon, who actually coached at Georgia Tech before he took that job um, and played for Paul Johnson. Uh, you've got a guy um, right now at the uh, U.S. Military Academy at West Point. That would be Jeff Monken. Uh, and and he's, uh, he's also a Paul Johnson disciple. You've got uh, Ken Niamatololo. That uh, that would fit perfectly in there. And so um, it, it's there's, there's a lot of good fits if you wanted to stick with that scheme. But you know, there's a lot of good candidates out there uh, regardless. And, you know, I think if you get the right guy in there, uh, Matt, you and I were talking about this is out of all the jobs that are available at this moment, this is probably the best one, uh, in my opinion, because of where it's located, all the resources that you potentially have within the city, um, and a, uh, a administration that uh, you've got a you've got an AD in Todd Stansberry who I think wants to try to figure out how to get more money uh, flowing back into the apartment. I think that's one of the the biggest goals right now because uh, they don't get a whole financial support right now. They don't have a whole lot of money. That's why they couldn't fire Paul Johnson. Uh, they somehow talked him into uh, retiring. But uh, needless to say, um, you know I think with this hire you're gonna you're gonna see what kind of commitment they're gonna make and. Uh, but like we talked about North Carolina, they're in the right side of, the, of that conference. They're in the coastal. So, yeah. again, if you're going to transition from the option to the spread, you're going to need to, like you told me, coach, backfill on your recruiting because you're not going to have the right kind of athletes in place. You'll probably have to take your lumps with a freshman quarterback um, if you're going to you know, start spreading out and throwing it 45, 50 times a game. Yeah. But well, I know one of the names that we both talked about for this job would be uh, Neil Brown over there at Troy. And I know you think he's a pretty good fit. Yeah, that'd be a great fit. Uh, the guy's a winner. Uh, he knows how to recruit. He's he's got a lot of ties in the southeast. Um, would do a tremendous job uh, with his energy and his passion up there at Georgia Tech. Uh, be a nightmare for dog fans. Uh, it would actually renew this rivalry. So um, if they're smart, they would look kind of in their own little backyard. But what I'm hearing is that Ken Wisenhunt uh, of the San Diego Chargers, 
and formerly the head coach of the Tennessee Titans and the Arizona Cardinals uh, is their main candidate as of right now. But, you know, it could go in a million different directions. They've been pretty hush-hush about uh, leaking names out there. So it, it'll it'll kind of be a, a shock as to who they hire. So, uh, well, I, I just want to tie a bow on Paul Johnson because Coach, being a bulldog partisan, probably did not go in enough detail about Paul Johnson, who will be a for sure Hall of Fame coach. He's well over six. Yeah, you can't discount what he did. Yeah, so uh, he got his first coaching gig way back in '97 with Georgia Southern. Uh, he was there from 97 to 2001, and in five seasons, all he did was win two national titles, win five straight conference titles, uh, you know, took them to a third championship game. So, did all right there. Then uh, rebuilt Navy from the ground up, went 45 and 29 with Navy. Uh, that program would not be what it is under Ken Niamatololo without him. And then at Georgia Tech, uh, let's just say he was over, or excuse me, he was under 500 in the ACC exactly once. A very, very consistent program, won the division four times, won the conference once, played in two Orange Bowls, won one of those Orange Bowls. Uh, this guy's a hell of a coach. I know it was a little erratic the last few seasons, and maybe they did want to. Uh, fire him as coach mentioned, but uh, Paul Johnson did an absolutely, absolutely amazing job. And he's only 61, so there's an outside chance that, you know, he just kind of recharges his batteries and maybe comes back in a few years somewhere else if he wants to. Otherwise, like I said, he is a lock for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, I was reading, a, you know, uh, some some pieces on Paul Johnson today, and there was a great story about – after uh, the Yellow Jackets beat Georgia for their second straight time in Sanford Stadium in 2016, uh, they went to present him the Governor's Cup, the officials for the game did, and they found him uh, staring on, uh, at the ceiling uh, in the visitor's locker room. And they come up to him and uh, said, hey, you know, Coach, what are you doing? And he, he stares up at the ceiling and says, I'm looking for a place for the sign. And they're like, what, what What? are you talking about? What sign? He says, should say, he told them it, said, it should say Paul Johnson Visitor's Locker Room because <laughs> I own this bleeping place. Nice. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, you know, the turnaround, too, that he did at Georgia Tech, I think is fairly impressive. Matt, your favorite Buffalo Bills coach, Chan Gailey, he's at Georgia Tech. <laughs> uh, they were remarkably consistent. They went seven and six, seven and six, seven and five, seven and five, nine and five, seven and five. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But they did sign Calvin Johnson. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think all of this uh, has more to do with Georgia Tech than it does actually uh, Paul Johnson. He's just the unfortunate recipient of a lot of my jokes because of the logo he wore in a shirt since. You know, since he signed on at Georgia Tech, uh, but I think, you know, he's a remarkable coach, and you know, it, it it may not have worked out in the long term at Georgia Tech, but he did a a lot of great things there. While he, you know, he took Tech to, uh, you know, some of their best. He Tech enjoyed some of their best seasons since the national championship year um, with a conference championship. 
and a couple of appearances in the conference championship game and Orange Bowl, a couple Orange Bowl wins and, uh, you know, just some, some things that they, they're not used to having um, while he was there. And he's uh, he was widely successful everywhere he's been. You said he's a lock for the the Hall of Fame, and, and I, I do agree with you. And uh, if he ever does decide to come back, which he's a pretty competitive dude, he might. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a spot for him uh, somewhere, and somebody will uh, somebody will, will reap all the benefits and of of having Paul Johnson. All right. Well, there have been three hires since we last talked two days ago. Uh, Scott Leffler, the uh, now former Boston College offensive coordinator, he's getting his first head coaching gig at Bowling Green, where he'll be taking over for Mike Jinks. Uh, Josh, do you have any thoughts here on this hire? Well, certainly a departure from what we know Bowling Green for, obviously the stomping grounds of Dino Babers, uh, Boston College running that ground-and-pound attack. But they opened it up a little bit more, they, I would say. They did. Um, but, you know, Bowling Green must have really liked him because it seemed like they were going to go uh, one direction, and then Loeffler came on late, and that's who they went with. So he either had a home run interview or it's who Bowling Green was hoping to get. But – uh, you know, he's been around quite a bit, so this is a good opportunity for him. All right. Uh, Coach Charlotte made uh, what is the early candidate for the best hire of the offseason. Uh, they went and poached James Madison head coach Mike Houston, uh, who is the owner of an 80-24 and 24 career record, including going 50-9. and nine in conference between his time at James Madison, the Citadel and division two Lenoir Rhine coach. What do you like so much about this hire? Well, I mean, he's been successful everywhere he's been. He runs a great program. Kids play hard for him. Uh, he recruits really well. Um, he is, uh, he's got a lot of ties within that, uh, upper Carolina's, uh, what would you call that? The mid Atlantic region. Yeah. Mid Atlantic. He's very well versed there, and there's a lot of talent to be tapped in the states of Virginia, Maryland, and North Carolina, uh, Kentucky, that whole area, the Eastern Kentucky area. Um, so he he's he's one of those guys that's that is a big time coach um, in a basically a big fish in a small pond, and now he's going to get his chance to be a uh, big fish in a medium pond, um, and then he'll uh, he'll springboard. He he's going to be a superstar. Uh, some, you know, he's going to take over. He's going to, he's going to slide in uh, a power five job before too long. Uh, when after he uh, takes care of Charlotte for a little bit, and yeah, uh, you know, he, and he's still he, he's he's still he's only forty seven, so he he's, exactly. he's probably got another good fifteen to twenty years in him. So you would imagine. That's the other thing I liked about the hire. You know, we could talk about it from the 49ers' perspective, but from Mike Houston's perspective, uh, it, it's pretty hard to do that FCS to Power Five jump. You know, Mike London did it to Virginia, very very mixed success. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Craig Bowl going from the best program, North Dakota State, to Wyoming, and it's been a good marriage. It hasn't been a marriage made in heaven. Lance Leopold going from even lower than James Madison, going from a D3 school to Buffalo, finally got it turned around this year. It, it, it's not easy to go from a place where you have X number of scholarships and yeah, a little bit of pressure. You know, James Madison probably has a little bit more pressure than your average FCS school, but still it's it's a smaller pond to be generous. 
and then jumping straight to a, a power conference school where you got about two and a half years to turn around. Charlotte's going to be, be patient with them. Mike Houston will learn the ins and outs and, and how to recruit now with more scholarships, what he wants to do to adjust his scheme to the speed, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. And finally, Texas State uh, hired Jake Spavadol, the offensive coordinator at West Virginia, previously at both Cal and Texas A&M. It's his first career head coaching gig where he gets to take over for Everett Withers. But uh, Josh, like you said, you know, San Marcos on the right side of the state. And how do you think that he will fare? Well, he's going to be able to show a tape of some really, really fun offenses at all the places he's been in a very young age and a very short career so far. Uh, for me, though, what I'm very curious about is seemed like this was Kendall Bryles, signed, sealed, delivered. What in the world happened in the last 48 hours? Bryles turned it down, I think, Coach. Yeah, he did. He, he turned it down. Uh, and he I think seemed to, he seemed to want them, though. And, and I, but I maybe think he just, maybe he just leveraged it for money. Yeah, Houston came back with a with a good uh, offer, and it was good enough for him. So that's that's what he that's what happened there. Yeah, especially for 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 Kendall Bryles, he is uh, you know his, his Q rating amongst coaches, I think right now is 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 high enough that he can afford to take another year as a coordinator at you know at Houston, which is a an upper level Group of Five job, and parlay that into maybe a little bit more of a promising gig than Texas State. But you know, I he it's, he's a first time uh, Spavadol is a first time head coach. We'll see how it turns out. But um, anyways, uh, we will uh, quickly quickly get into uh, the FCS playoffs round duh, that are taking place this weekend. North Dakota State will get to take on Montana State at home, and on the same side of the, of the bracket, Colgate will take on James Madison. Coach, do you know if? Um, uh, if our if our guy here, uh, Mike Houston, is going to be coaching in this game, yeah, he'll he'll finish out the season, okay. um, and I, I think he should. Um, it, it won't. I don't think Charlotte is going to be is. Uh, I don't think they're going to be jerks about it and make him you know come right this way. He'll probably do more double duty until he's done, which means he'll probably during the day recruit for Charlotte. And and game prep for uh, for James Madison, so um, he'll be busy uh, for the next few weeks, you know. But yeah, he'll he'll, he'll coach for sure. All right. Uh, elsewhere, South Dakota State will be taking on Duquesne. Kennesaw State will be uh, going against Wofford. Weber State gets SEMO, Southeast Missouri State. Maine will be taking on Jacksonville State. UC Davis takes on Northern Iowa, and Eastern Washington takes on Nickel State. Josh, any of these matchups either stand out to you, or who do you, what? Or I guess the other question I would ask is, what uh, unseeded team do you think has the best chance of pulling off the upset on the road? Let's stick with those Panthers. I mean, they played in a tough conference. They had a mammoth win over those Jackrabbits. So even though they're very, very Jekyll and Hyde, when they are playing up to snuff, they can hang with anybody. Coach, same question to you. What unseeded team do you think has the best chance to pull off an upset? Ooh, um, that's a tough one. Um, I, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and agree with Josh uh, and, and say that's probably their best chance. I picked Davis to make uh, the national semifinal, so I'm not really ready to 
jump out and uh, say that they'll lose this one as well. I'd be I'd be very careful if I was Kennesaw State. Wofford uh, definitely has uh, the potential to pull off uh, an upset. They are the number that, that four. That would be that would be my next one if I had yeah, to pick more than they're one. They're the number four rushing offense in FCS. They average over 330 yards per game. To be fair, Kennesaw State averages almost 375 a game. So I think that will be a fast game. Uh, it might be over 60 minutes of game time plus 15 minutes of halftime. That's 75 minutes. I think a game will take about 84 minutes total. So um, that's uh, you know that's pretty much what to what to watch for this weekend in the FCS playoffs. So before we get to our deep roots, uh, talking about all the conference championship games, time for a pop quiz. Take out your number two pencils. Get your scantron sheets ready. And wait, 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 wait! Did we really, honestly, have a burying the lead, Matt? Like a legitimate one? I, I think we may have. Because we probably should have talked during our coaching carousel stuff about Brom staying at Purdue. Okay, let's <laughs> uh, let, 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 let's talk Jeff Brom. He's yeah, staying, he's staying at Purdue. He's staying at Purdue. Yeah, he's I, staying at Purdue. I think he made the right call, though. Because oh, yeah. I mean, Coach and I were talking about this at dinner tonight. He definitely made the right call. Yeah, I mean, he leveraged more money. He's in a more winnable division. Um, I saw one article. Someone was saying that because Louisville is in a tougher division and they get to play Clemson and stuff, that that has an easier path to the national title. Uh, how? You have to play Clemson and Florida State every year. Yeah, because the – the committee has already shown that they do not care at all about strength of schedule, and they don't care at all about, honestly, even winning in your division, as Alabama showed. But what you do need to do is get that point of data of playing in your conference title game and winning your conference. And you can win the worst conference in one of those power, com- power five groups and as long as you win that division and win the title game, you're probably going to make the tournament. Coach? I think he did the right thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously we talked about this earlier. It's, you know, it's easily the best decision he made because he's already started at Purdue. He's already sort of built his brand. He's already, you know, he's already got a lot of things that he wants to do in place. And at if he goes to Louisville, he's not going to get a significant amount of raise, and he's going to have to do all of it all over again. And it's going to be a tough, tough road because the division he's in is insanely difficult. So, um, you know, I, I think he's doing himself a favor. I think he's going to grow Purdue into a uh, into a contender in the Big Ten, and there's yeah, not I mean, a place to go. So, on top of that. Purdue's got a top 25 recruiting class this year. Yeah. According to Rivals.com, Rivals.com, they have the number 24 ranked recruiting class in the country. They've they've verbaled five uh, four-star kids and an additional 14 three-star kids. I mean, mean, it's it's ridiculous. Plus, there's uh, there's someone on his roster right now I think might be a Dark Horse Heisman Trophy candidate next season. Uh, Mr. Rondell Moore. In the- that would be the that'd be the person I would be looking at. I think he could even win the Bolitnikov before the end of his career. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. 
No, absolutely. Especially in the creative ways that he gets the ball in, in open space. And, you know, if, if he's got two yards from a defender, he's got as much daylight as he ever needs. So, yeah, I think that Brom is making a very smart decision. Louisville fans, not very happy about this. We saw them burning his jersey, um, which I thought was. I mean, why? <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, that's... why? Why are you doing that? You know, I, on, I've said this man. multiple times on the podcast. Louisville's a toxic program. I would not on, man. go. Yeah, I wouldn't touch that. I, I wouldn't go near that. So, okay. Well, now that we have the funny thing, the funny thing though is they offered him so much money that they're going to turn around and offer Scott Satterfield like a third of that, mm-hmm. and he's just going to be like, "The, the hell are you talking about? You need mm-hmm. to match Brom's money or give me more." Because you already played your hand. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Louisville's athletic director has never been in administration like this. It's, they were a former college baseball player. Like, they're in way over their head, and the AD totally got played by Brom. And uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get much, much worse at Louisville than before it gets better. Yeah, it really is. And who knows if there will be any sort of sanctions down the pipe for the athletic department. We've already seen a lot of fallout from all of the scandals uh, regarding college basketball, Rick Pitino there, Bobby Petrino. uh, You know, we know there are some skeletons there uh, that have yet to be uncovered. Also like, you know, you're ragging on, you're ragging on Jeff Brom and, and, you know, we're not ragging on Jeff Brown. No, I'm saying like the Louisville people are. They're burning his jersey. They're doing all this stuff. Um, they do realize that Jeff Brom has a fairly decent offensive coordinator and quarterback coach on his staff that is only 33 that has head coaching potential that, um, oh, yeah, his name is Brian Brom, and he also played at Louisville. Yeah. So, like, you could get the other Brom brother at some point – if you had just been like, okay, we get it. Jeff Brom took a very, very nice political stance and said the timing wasn't right. He didn't say it was a bad offer. He didn't say that Louisville was a mess. He just said it wasn't the right time for him. So you, you know what? You take, the, you take that, swallow your pride, accept it, and who knows? Maybe in five years you can get Brian Brom. Like, but now, now they've probably pissed off that entire family. Yeah. Uh, the Brom family is in some ways the first family of Louisville football. And it's not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Well, if if North Carolina can bring back Mac Brown, I think Louisville should just bring back Howard Schellberger. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, now that we've had a delay to the start of the pop quiz, uh, it's time to get it started. Last weekend, Nick I just have time to cheat. Yeah, Nick Fitzgerald broke the record for most career rushing yards for an SEC quarterback. He is one of only 16 quarterbacks in FBS football since the year 2000 to rush for over 3,000 yards in his career. Your job, gentlemen, is to name the 15 other quarterbacks who have rushed for at least 3,000 yards in their careers since 2000. Coach, I'm going to start it off with you. I will say uh, Tim Tebow. I knew you were going to start with that, and uh, and while that is the record that Nick Fitzgerald broke, uh, that is actually incorrect. Uh, 
Tim Tebow only rushed for 2,947 yards in his career. So 53 yards short. Yikes. Well, that crosses off from the second name I had on my sheet. My number one sheet was Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has 4,132 career rushing yards. That is good for sixth. Good job, Josh. Coach. Now, now you got me rattled. <laughs> <laughs> he had me rattled. Tim Tebow is going to be my second guess. I know. For some reason, it, I made it that far in the draft. Yeah. Uh, can't, no, no, he didn't play enough. Um, I was going to say he rushed for 3,000. It seemed like he rushed for 3,000 yards that season. I was going to say Cam Newton. Uh, Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota. Uh, sorry, Coach. He what? rushed for 2,237 yards. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. <laughs> sorry. Jesus can't help you here. I don't think he has the, uh, the requisite football knowledge. Well, he definitely rushed for 3,000 yards. <laughs> Josh. Uh, I'm going to go with Keenan Reynolds. Yeah, that's the obvious one. Number one all time, uh, 4,559 yards and 88 touchdowns. Uh, I should have just said him first. He was on my list. Now I'm really, really, really reeling here. Um, so it's not. Whoever played at Rutgers. <laughs> there are no Rutgers quarterbacks on this list. That is correct. Okay. All the Rutgers quarterbacks combined have been added up to 3,000 rushing yards. In the history of Rutgers football. Nope. They, they, might have, they might have added up to the negative version of that. For sack um, yards. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, for strike three, I'm going to say um, before he broke his leg, he had already reached 3,000, Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton, uh, sorry, coach. Uh, that is incorrect. Uh, he has less than 2,000 in his career. So um, you have struck out on three pitches, Josh. Should I take some strikes to make coach look good and be like, oh, Joel Stave. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I think Alec Horderbrook's done it. Oh God! Uh, no, I I would I I had Pat White jotted down the Pat West White's number three there. of all number three. Yep. Oh, forget about Pat White. Um, and then I, I gotta be honest, I just don't remember enough of the Army and Navy quarterbacks to oh. list them. Well, there I'm are tapped, two. I'm tapped out. That was that was the names. All right, there are two Army quarterbacks: uh, Trent Steelman from 2009 to 2012. Okay. And Ahmad Bradshaw, uh, yeah. 2015 to 2017. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, other guys that you missed, uh, number two all-time, Josh, surprised you didn't get this one, Denard Robinson. Um, oh. 4,500 career yards. Uh, uh, quarterback. Yeah. Uh, also, we had Jordan Lynch from Northern Illinois, Brad yeah. Smith from Missouri, Colin, oh. Colin Kaepernick at Nevada, uh, uh one of the show's favorite quarterbacks and since we've started here, Quentin Flowers from South Florida. Mm. Mm. Josh Cribbs uh, from Kent State. Uh, mm. uh, Cody Fajardo, also from Nevada. Braxton Miller and JT Barrett, back-to-back, uh, both right at about 3,300 career yards. And mm. finally, Vince Young. Vince Young. 3,127 career yards. 
Vince Young. Okay. Yeah, we did horribly on that coach. Yeah, not yeah, that your. Was, that, was, that was bad. <laughs> that was yeah. real bad. That was definitely not the best. Well, well, when you said when you said Tebow didn't make it, I started kind of picking out some different names because I I did have Robinson jotted down, but I was like, you know, Robinson had some injuries in his career. Michigan had some up and down moments in his career. I was like, crap! If Tebow didn't do three thousand. Maybe Denard didn't either. And then those Ohio State quarterbacks, I would have pegged them at having a lot of rushing yards, but um, they had such cannons of arms, too, that I didn't think that they would have gotten up to 3,000. One of of the most amazing things about the Lamar Jackson number, he's sixth uh, in this category, 4,132 yards. He did that in 38 games. Everyone above him played a minimum of 48 games. Mm. It's uh, if he had played one more season at Louisville, he would have smashed, absolutely smashed Keenan Reynolds' record. Um, well, the, the remarkable thing is, can you imagine his career and his potential for championships and just absurd stuff if he had gone anywhere other than the dumpster fire at Louisville? If he had stayed in the state of Florida and gone to Florida, Florida State, even Miami, like UCF, baby, UCF, yeah, but USF. Well, I don't know. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he probably would have been stuck behind Quentin Flowers for a minute. <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to play in Raymond James Stadium. Ooh, touche, touche. All right, guys, uh, let's hit the not deep, even the Bucks. Yeah, let's start. Let, let's hit the deep roots, and we will start with the biggest game of the weekend: the SEC title game in. I thought you were going to say MTSU UAB. Hotlanta. Hotlanta, Georgia, Alabama, <laughs> uh, we have a rematch of last year's national championship game. Coach, uh, you're, feeling, you're, you're feeling kind of bullish about your dogs here. I do. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not going to beat my chest and say, oh, they are guaranteed when they're, you know, they match up. It's going to be a tough one. Um, it, there's going to be a lot of stress put on the defensive backs. We know that. Um, Tua, I, you know, after watching a couple of Alabama games, I've kind of figured out what Tua likes to do. He likes to sit back. He likes to just chuck the ball deep. Um, he, he actually, like, you know those three-point shooters that shoot the three-pointer, and then as soon as they let it go, they just walk. They just start walking off and, like, celebrating? Yeah, so you're talking about uh, Nick Young, Swaggy P. Yeah. Um, when Tua throws a deep ball, that's that's what he does. He just, as soon as that ball leaves his hand, he turns around and he's already celebrating because he knows Ruggs or Devontae Smith or Jerry Judy's going to come down with it. And that's probably one of the – that is easily – not probably. That is easily the most talented wide receiver group that uh, that Georgia will face. And um, and it's going to be – it's going to be a really tough test. And I think to, to be able to get Alabama, you're going to have to, A, get pressure on Tua. You're going to have to get hits on him because he doesn't like to be hit. And, and two, you're just going to have to mix up your coverages, and your defensive backs are just going to have to answer the bell. They're going to have to make – a play on a deep ball because that's what Alabama is going to do. You stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. Bama's going to throw it deep, and they're either going to get a pass interference or or, or it's going to be caught. That's kind of how they roll, you know. And so the the cor- the corners, the safeties, the guys in coverage are going to have to play a hell of a game. They're going to have to find three guys that can lock down Smith, Ruggs, and Judy. And then uh, you know they're going to have to be big up front, and they're going to have to do a great job against the run and they're just going to have to absorb Alabama's best shots because Alabama's going to hit some balls deep on them. 
They're going to make some big plays. They got to absorb the shots. Offensively, for Georgia, I feel good about uh, I feel good about the running game. I think Swift and Holyfield um, can do a lot of damage against this front seven for the Tide. This is definitely um, one of the weaker parts of of Alabama's team is uh, their front seven. I think they they're susceptible to the run. Uh, Auburn showed that they're susceptible to tempo. Um, so if Georgia kind of goes into uh, the the same tempo they they started the second half and continued in the second half against Florida with, and played for most of the year since then, um, I think they'll have a lot of success and they'll move the ball. And they'll put some. How much Justin Fields are we going to see? Uh, I don't know. Because uh, Fromm is just sharp right now. Fromm is on fire. Um, I. I think you'll definitely see him if Fromm starts to struggle. If they start getting, they start getting a few sacks on on Fromm, and they need somebody that can move around and uh, do a few things with his legs. I think you'll see. I think you'll see Fields. I also think there's going to be a package, a couple packages in the first half and a couple packages in the second half uh, that feature um, a series of plays for for Justin Fields. I think you're going to see him use like they haven't really used him in a meaningful game before. Uh, so it, there's gonna, they've got a lot of stuff up the sleeve, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll need that too. The last thing coach said, having some tricks up the sleeves because, uh, not that Georgia needs to get gimmicky, but, uh, they need to be flexible. They need to do some things, uh, that Alabama is just not expecting. And, and that's what Michigan ran into in that beat down that Ohio state gave them. Uh, Michigan goes out, they've run the ball well the last few weeks, ran it pretty well all season. What do they do? It, they didn't pass it hardly any in that first half and just let the hole dig deeper, dig, dig deeper, especially in that third quarter after the halftime when Michigan kind of got it close again. And you're just wondering, like, what, what's Michigan doing? It's clearly not working. And when you go back and look at the George LSU game, uh, the one loss the Bulldogs had, well, they ran it 30 times, but it was really, really ineffective. And Fromm had his worst game. So it was like a perfect storm offensively. If that running game doesn't work, like Coach was talking about, which it, hopefully it does, but if you're yeah. a Turner fan, but if it doesn't work, uh, how are they going to move the ball? How, what are they going to do differently? What, how are they going to avoid the Michigan trap? And then conversely from that same game, how did LSU win that game? Well, they ran 51 times for 275 yards. We've seen the highlights over and over and over of Alabama football this year. It's all two a pass and a deep. Does Alabama have that in their arsenal? Two. I don't think they do like they have in years past. I think Najee Harris, he's I think he's third on the depth chart right now. He is. Uh, Josh Jacobs is their best running back at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you look at them and they've completely, completely shifted um, their philosophy. Yeah, they really have. But uh, the matchup I'm really, really, really excited to see is uh, DeAndre Baker on Jerry Judy. I mean, that is a – that's going to be a battle for the ages on the outside. Yeah, um, there's, because, going to be, there's going to be some great, great football right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you know, Judy got the best of Greedy Williams uh, against LSU. I think Greedy Williams is the only 
uh, corner in the country who can hold a candle to Baker, quite frankly. So this is uh, this is going to be a matchup to be staring down. Uh, you know, one other thing, too, from this game that could be interesting to just kind of keep in mind, maybe put on the back burner, uh, not that the Dogs have faced a lot of adversity, but Missouri did a few things against them. Um, they, they obviously lost to LSU. Uh, they rallied um, the following week to, to beat a pretty good Florida team, uh, locked down Kentucky. But, uh, you know, Georgia's had an ounce, I guess, of adversity, but Alabama has had none. They've blown everyone out. You know, what, what does Alabama think if, say, they go into the fourth quarter down by three points? You know, that's something they're not used to. They went you know, to a played weeks and weeks and weeks of not even having a snap in the fourth quarter. You know, what's, what's the mindset of the Crimson Tide if they face some adversity? That could be another thing to, to keep in mind. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's head over to the Big 12 where we are getting the Red River shootout part duh, uh, when Texas and Oklahoma will face off again. Josh, Texas actually managed to beat Oklahoma this year. Can they do it again? Well, I'm going to steal the old basketball idea, which is uh, say you sweep a team in the regular season, then you have to play them in your conference tournament. It's really hard to beat a team three times. I think in football, it's really hard to beat a team twice because uh, what new wrinkles can Texas show? feels like they kind of played all their cards back in the Red River rivalry, and they still needed, quite frankly, luck to win the game. Oklahoma had that insane comeback to tie it up. The Sooners, I think, are the better team. The Sooners certainly had the better quarterback situation because Texas – has some guys banged up. Allinger's coming in with uh, still a little bit of a nicked-up wing there. So uh, I think Oklahoma's the smart pick. I know I'm an Oklahoma partisan on the show. I picked them in the Bedlam series, picked them in Red River Shootout all the time. But I'm going to ride or die with that Sooner offense as much as I like to make jokes about their defense. They are something scary offensively, and I'm just not sure Texas can put up the same amount of points with the same amount of ease like they did a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, Coach, how do you feel about this one? I mean, I, I just like their ability to put 14 quick ones on you and, and really just flip the momentum of the game. Um, what West Virginia did a tremendous job last week uh, that we talked about was being able to keep up with them and, and have the firepower to keep up with them with Will Greer and, and uh, David Sills and that whole crew. And that's how you beat Oklahoma. You keep up with them. Every time they score, you score. And if you let them put 14 quick ones on you, it, it's, it could get ugly. And, and for Texas, I don't know if they're mentally ready for, for swings like that. I, I know, they, I know uh, they played from ahead a lot in the, uh, in the first game uh, back uh, when they played in the Red River shootout. So um, it's going to be, you know, can, if Oklahoma can get off to a fast start, I think they can get get to a fast finish as well. But if they let Texas hang around like they did West Virginia, like they did Iowa State, uh, like they did a lot of the other teams that they've played, including Army, they let them hang around, they give them a chance to win. Now, fortunately for Oklahoma fans, they've pulled out just about every one of those games uh, where they let teams hang around. But um, – they they're going to have to get off to a fast start. They're going to have to maintain it. 
Uh, they've made they made a couple big plays defensively um, in the West Virginia game, but since since it was fifty four fifty one, nobody could tell. Um, but they're going to have to have some of those nice plays, and they're really going to have to capitalize off of it if they want to beat Texas because Sam Ellinger and those that core of receivers they have is extremely talented, and they will make you pay if you let them hang around. And and I really, um, as much as we kind of kind of bang on. Tom Herman and you know I, I like the roster that he's put together. I like the way Texas plays, um, and they they have a chance. They have a puncher's chance. I mean, if you make it to the Big Twelve Championship, you have a puncher's chance. I don't think this one's going to be a blowout either way. But if Oklahoma's going to win, they've got to start fast and fast. If Texas is going to win, they've got to. Uh, they've really Ellinger's got to play. Uh, the game of his life. And, and I think they just got to make big plays all across the board to steal a possession here or there, uh, win the turnover margin and really just try to possess the ball. I'm still concerned about Ellinger's health going forward. They need yeah. him to be a hundred. If, if he's not a hundred percent, I don't feel like they have a chance to win this one. I also feel like they really need to slow the game down because if they get into a shootout with Oklahoma, I mean, all, there's almost no one in the country who can score with them. No, not at all. And, so. uh, yeah. Um, well, let's then move on to the Pac-12. Uh, we have a another rematch here. Utah taking on Washington uh, up in the Bay Area, Coach. You know, both these teams have pretty stingy defenses, but Washington is coming in much healthier than Utah. And it feels like Washington's, a, I wouldn't say a lock to win this one, but pretty darn close. Well, they're about as close as you can get the way they played last week in the snow against a very, what I still consider a very good Washington State team. Um, Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin played a tremendous game defensively. They That's that's where I was most impressed with Def- defensively. They just flat get after you, that front seven. Um, they are they are great against the pass. They rank 25th nationally in, nationally, excuse me, in yards allowed per game. Um, they're better against the run. They're 20th in rushing yards allowed. Um, at an average of 122.9, uh, they have their leading, the nation's leading tackler is actually Husky linebacker Ben Burr Kervin. Um, and, and he, he absolutely went off in that, uh, Apple that guy's cup. amazing, by the way. He really, I mean, he's, he's unreal. If you're a fan of linebacker play, he's the one you definitely need to watch. Um, but, you know, offensively, they just make plays, you know, that they're, they are uh, eighth scoring nationally, uh, 41.8 points per game. Uh, so, I mean, they've got a lot of firepower there too. And, you know, people kind of slept on Washington. I'll, I'll admit I kind of slept on them too. Um, I, I thought it was going to be a little bit easier of a game uh, for Washington State just because of the momentum that they had. But Washington showed that, hey, guys, this is essentially still our conference. So, Let's uh, let's go out and prove something. So um, Utah banged up, um, but I, I think they're outmatched too. I mean, I think you know it's it, it was good that Utah was uh, able to hang around and and uh, finish the top of the heap on the uh, in, in the South. But you know, honestly, I think this is going to be more one sided than than people think. Yeah, uh, Coach, you talked about Ben uh, Ben Burkirvin. He reminds me so much of another Ben from a couple of years ago, uh, former Clemson linebacker Ben Bulware. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think those two are cut from the same cloth. Josh, uh, do you think that, or I shouldn't say, do you think that you got, you talk pull off the upset, but if they do, what will they have to do? Well, the interesting thing is when you look at the first matchup, well, Tyler Huntley had a game to forget. He was terrible, and Zach Moss was terrible, and just the weirdness of the Utah season, both those guys are out for the rest of the year. So uh, Washington has to basically regroup defensively going against totally new faces. Um, So you have to kind of wonder, does that mess with Washington's headspace in any way? Washington only won that first matchup 21 to seven and Utah just could not shoot themselves in the foot more. They had three turnovers and then late in the game when they were trying to come back, they had over three on fourth down. So essentially six turnovers in this game. They only lost by 14. They were great on third down. They were a much better team on third down, despite all those issues that I just highlighted. So, you know, Utah, it's not like they got waxed a few months ago. So there's some things Utah can do. The thing that I'm interested in though, is the the quarterback for Utah. He, he's quite frankly taken a step back each week. And does that mean that there's now enough tape on him to shut him down? Or is he a freshman? Things are, are, are coming too fast at Jason Shelley. I don't know, but what I do like is he's only thrown one interception. Mm-hmm. And so he is protecting the ball. I think that is key for any chance that Utah has. And uh, I know this doesn't answer the question of does Utah have a chance or what do they need to do, but every now and then you get this just feeling that there's kind of like a team of destiny where they can do no wrong. And for Utah to survive all these injuries and then these last three games – to win out, beat a still a scary Oregon team, just demolish Colorado on the road, and then most impressively that BYU game, a meaningless game as Utah had, it wasn't going to impact Utah's race in the South. It was BYU's Super Bowl, and Utah came out and was down twenty nothing at halftime. They were down twenty seven to seven with just five minutes left in the third quarter. They had all the reason in the world to pack it in and not care. But they rallied, scored 28 straight points, and won the game. And that's just something you see from a you know a team of destiny. Maybe this is Utah's everything aligns, the dream season. They pick off their first Pac-12 title, and there's no explanation for it other than they just rid an amazing defense, and scored some timely points. And it also wouldn't be that unprecedented. Ohio State managed to win a national title a few years ago when they were by far the most banged-up team playing their third-string quarterback. Very true. Very true. Um, Well, let's head then to the Big Ten. Speaking of Ohio State, they get to take on Northwestern, of all teams, who somehow managed – to finish with identical record as the Buckeyes in the Big Ten at eight and one, they just went zero and three in their non-conference play. Josh, I mean, you are a Big Ten guy here. Do the Wildcats even have a hope and a prayer? They're bringing with them a phenomenal defense, and they have the much much better defense of the two teams, and so, possibly a much better coach. 
Very possibly true. A better human being. Well, I mean, that's not saying much. Um, So, you know, there's a cliche about defense winning championships. Yeah. So what does Northwestern need to do? Well, they need to ride that defense. They need to make this a dirty game. It almost worked to knock off Michigan. They only lost that game 20 to 17. Um, they, They make you just... They make you work for everything. And... It seems like every scoring drive Northwestern has given up this year has been a 15-yard grinder. They don't seem to get beat over the top. They're not going to give up very many big chunk plays to that explosive Ohio State offense. Uh, I think unlike Michigan that refused to change their lineup and continued to put their linebackers at the line of scrimmage and give up crossing route after crossing route, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, out of this world linebacker, wonderful defensive coach. He probably watched that on tape, and I doubt the linebackers even sniff the line of scrimmage in this game. He's not going to get beat by those crossing routes. Uh, I think he's going to say, you know what? We need to make this team one-dimensional, and within that passing attack, Haskins can throw a nice deep ball, but he's been making a lot of hay getting the ball to his players in space and letting them run wild. I think Northwestern finds a way to prevent the Ohio State running attack from beating them. And I think they find a way to prevent the short stuff from beating them. So if Ohio State wins this game, which they're supposed to, it'll be because the speed of Ohio State beats Northwestern deep and they stretch the field with some long passes. But I think Fitz is a good enough coach. That defense is good enough to muddy this game, and stuff's not going to come easy to Ohio State. The thing is, though, I just don't I don't think Northwestern has enough offense to score some points. I, I think even with as good as Northwestern's defense is, I think you can probably assume Ohio State scores at least four touchdowns in this game. So does, does the Wildcats – excuse me, do the Wildcats have 28 points in them? I I don't see it. And that's going to be the issue, I think. Coach, are are you with Josh on this one? Do you think that Northwestern's not going to have enough offense, or do you think they'll be able to hold Ohio State down just enough to keep it close? I I think uh, it's a combination of both. I mean, I think that, you know, you're not going to be able to keep up with an explosive offense like – Ohio State has, but your only chance is uh, to do what explosive offenses absolutely hate doing, and that is earning every single yard and being patient. Explosive offenses are not patient. They do not like to. They do not like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen play drives. They do not ha- like having to earn every pass, every every rushing yard uh, to the fullest degree. You know they like being able to stretch the field. They like being able to to hit long plays. They like being able to do those things. And if Northwestern can force them into beating them in with 15-play drives, it will slow this game down tremendously. It will turn it into a grind, and that's what Northwestern does. Northwestern loves playing grinded-out, slugfest defensive football. They love that style. And if they can force Ohio State into their style, 
by making them earn every inch on on while they're on defense and 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 forcing them to stop them in the run game uh getting dink nickel and dime them uh down the field forcing their defense to be focused for six seven eight nine ten plays um even if you punt you know eventually if you keep at it and keep forcing them to play the routine stuff they will get bored they will lull themselves to sleep and then you can you you can hit them uh with some with, with an okie doke or or something you know they're gonna have to have some tricks up their sleeve they can't they can't they don't have any chance of winning if they don't have some sort of trick up their sleeve but yeah i i agree with josh i agree with you uh it's it's all a combination of that um and you know they're just gonna have to really do a good job of uh forcing ohio state to be patient if ohio state's patient and 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 they you know take their shots when they get them then they'll have a lot of success but Typically, explosive teams like that, they get impatient and they, they make unforced errors or they make uncharacteristic errors, things like that. And all the pressure is on Ohio State, too. Ohio State's the team trying to make the playoffs. Ohio State's expected to win this game. I'm sure Ohio State's heard all week about... Yeah, Ohio State's favored by two touchdowns. Yeah, I'm sure Ohio State's heard all week, hey, remember a few years ago when you beat Wisconsin 59 nothing? Like, Ohio State fans are expecting a 60-point route. And Northwestern, yeah, they're overmatched, but what they do do well is the type of stuff that can muck things up and puts you at least in a position to pull off the upset. I think Ohio State will probably pull away and win by a comfortable margin when it's all said and done. But I would be stunned if – Northwestern just gets punched in the mouth and, and it turns into a 40 point game. I mean, that would shock not just you, but I think shock a lot of people. Because if anyone who's watched Northwestern football knows that they don't just play with a chip on their shoulder, they play with a uh, freaking divot in their shoulder. Yeah. I mean, they are as tough and hard nosed a team as you are going to find anywhere in college football. Yeah, they they play with that uh, kettle kettle cooked chip. Those are the toughest <laughs> chips. Well, I, I know what I would do if I was or a frito maybe. Yeah, I know what I would do if I was Fitz personally. What would you do? Well, I would just take the old Force Avashevsky thing, and that is deliberately not bring my pass to a road game, so they don't let me into the stadium. And I say, hey, look at these guys. They're not they're not letting me in. I would have the bus not have any heat on it. And so, you know, you complain about that. You just get your kids more and more pissed off. And then, and then his speech, all he said was he's like, you guys have 60 minutes to make a lifetime of memories. And Iowa won at Minnesota for the first time in like a million years in that game. And, yeah, I mean, I think Fitz is going to do that. Yeah. I, I, I think he's going to have the boys fired up and – um. Let's just say I would be more surprised about the ACC game going the other way than I would the Big Ten game. Well, let's talk about that ACC game. Clemson is a four-touchdown favorite <laughs> against Pitt in Charlotte. Um, I mean, Josh, where do you even begin with this? Well, I think you got to begin with Pittsburgh's strength, which is their rushing attack. 
Uh, they're 17th in the country. They're averaging 232 yards per game. Uh, can they get that going at all against a Clemson team that finished, oh, let's see, second nationally in yards allowed just 84.8 yards per game? So that's that's the tricky thing. Uh, in all honesty, it's going to be just a jaw-dropping upset if – it pulls it out uh, they like they did a few years ago in that 43-42 thriller. You know, you look at how they got that to happen. Well, they just got an amazing day from their quarterback. They got a day to remember from the Peterman, your favorite Buffalo Bill quarterback, Matt. Uh, Nathan Peterman went off. He had over 300 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, James Conner had a really nice day rushing. The ball also, but but the storyline was just a average quarterback going off. But then Clemson also gave up some stuff. Clemson had nine penalties for over a hundred yards in that game two years ago, and Clemson had three turnovers and lost the turnover margin minus two. So what Pitt needs, it's a pretty difficult recipe to do, which is. They need to have a singular performance from somebody. Maybe it's a wide receiver going off, catching everything in his zip code and having one-handed catch after one-handed catch. Maybe it's a pit running back going bonkers and putting up, you know, 320 yards. Or maybe it's the quarterback having another five-touchdown, 300-yard day. They're, they're going to need a singular performance, and they need to be Clemson to be sloppy with penalties and sloppy with turnovers because – Talent to talent, these two teams, quite frankly, aren't close. No, Coach, they're really not. No, I mean, it's just, you know, unlike Northwestern Ohio State, I think that, you know, the only stuff Pitt does well, Clemson does exceptionally better. (laughs) And, you know, yeah, they can try to grind the game down to a nub, but, you know, I think – with Clemson's run game, they can win that type of game with Travis Etienne and uh, Devin Feaster. They can win that type. They they can win that type of game, or they can win the spread you out uh, explosive game. Uh, their defensive line is again finished second in total yards. Uh, they're the most talented front four in the country. You ain't running on them very easily. You know if you do, then. I tip my cap to you, and you deserve to win. Um, but it's just – they're just outmatched here, honestly. I mean, that, that's all I can really say. Uh, I, I know I know you, uh, all, all of our audience members tuning in going, really? I downloaded this podcast for that expert analysis? But, I mean – Whoa, 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 Coach. I don't think we've ever claimed to have expert analysis. I think we, 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 we've claimed to have – Amusing analysis and insightful analysis. Experts, eh, we'll see. Yeah, we got to do better on our spread formations. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, tell me what Pitt can do that Clemson can't, and, and I'll, I'll knock down this 26.5-point underdog deal for them. Um, and, and I get it. Last time they played each other, Pitt won. Um, but that was in the middle of the season, uh, and I think Clemson had, had just come off a couple of tough games in a row. 
um, you know, circumstances were different. This is this is a totally different atmosphere uh, for Clemson. They're going to be dialed in because it's a chance to go to the playoffs. And if you're a Clemson fan, you're going to root for Georgia because if you root for Georgia and Georgia wins, Clemson, you become the number one seed all of a sudden for the second straight year. So they're going to take care of business, and they're going to show the world that, yeah, we do play in the weakest Power 5 conference in in uh, in all of Power 5. Um, but you know what? We're elite too, and they're going to – if they have a chance to pummel pit, they're going to pummel pit, and they're going to put on a show. They're going to make a statement in this game, I think. Yeah, I, I think that they are as well. I mean, this this Clemson squad, no one's talking about them because they haven't faced anyone for a while, but they are just absolutely demolishing teams right now. I mean, all you can do is play the teams on your schedule, and they take care of business, and they do it I mean, 77-12 to 12 against Louisville. Yeah, I mean, one thing, though, about um, the next game we're going to be talking about is the Central Florida debate. Well, let's just get in there. But but I wanted to to say something about this ACC title game is, um, you know, when Notre Dame beat Pitt 1914, everyone went on and on and on about how, oh, that's – that's a great escape for the Irish. That that Pitt team, they're going to win their division. They're that's that's a good that's a good Panther team. And Notre Dame was lucky to win. Uh, yeah, UCF beat Pitt forty five fourteen. So if you're going to give Pitt as a strong win to Notre Dame, you sure as shit better give it to Central Florida because Central Florida walloped them, and they are still number two in my poll. Even with the Mackenzie Milton uh, injury? Yes. Why is that? Because he is phenomenal, but he is one phenomenal cog in an even more phenomenaler team. Oh, I like uh, that word, phenomenal. Thank you. Phenomenal. Thank you. So so UCF, they see their, their signature player go down with an injury against the Bulls. Uh, they're struggling to pass it. They're, you know, Mackenzie Milton goes out when he was just 5 of 10 for 86 yards, a touchdown and a pick. What do the Knights do? They ride a really good defense. They hold the Bulls to just 10 points, makes their day miserable. What do the, what do the Knights do? They run it 58 times for almost 400 yards and nearly 7 yards per carry. Uh, the, the Knights just have so many different weapons. They find so many ways to get their best players in space. And the, the really good running back for the Knights, Greg McRae, he went off. And he just dominated the Bulls. And this is a guy who has that in his game. They don't need McRae to go off every day. But when they're taking on certain teams, they call upon him. So, like, Temple, the other really good team, Central Florida beating the American. McCray had 188 yards against South Florida, 181. Sure, he'll have the occasional game where he only gets four touches like he did in the blowout of SMU. But when they need him, which they will need him against Memphis, McCray's amazing, and he's going to rack up a bunch of yards. So that, that's why Central Florida is so good. That's why they're my second best team. And then this is a rematch. They beat them 31 30 Earlier in the season, I'm in sure people. Soon. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm sure everyone's going to say, well, they only won by one. How's that impressive? You said it, Matt. It was awful, awful, awful weather conditions. At Memphis. It was, it was in, at it Memphis. Was in Memphis. Yeah, and Memphis gave them one hell of a combo in that first half. You know, it was – it looked like Mike Tyson out there. They were just – any punch they wanted, they were landing on the Knights. The Knights were reeling. Uh, the outstanding Memphis running back, uh, Mr. Henderson, Daryl Henderson, had 199 yards in that game on 31 carries. But here's the thing. UCF's really, really well coached, really, really experienced, and really, really talented. Uh, they put their chin strap on, went to work in that second half, and shut out Memphis. Nada, zilch, in the third and fourth quarters to win that game. Central Florida is a complete team. It's not the Hawaii team where it was Colt Brennan putting in a Heisman-type season, then getting exposed by Georgia. The Knights are a complete team defensively. They are a packed team offensively that had the blessing of a phenomenal quarterback in McKenzie Milton. But this has always been a better team than just an outstanding quarterback. Coach, what do you think Memphis is going to need to do? Is it just ride Darrell Henderson all the way to a victory if they're going to pull off the upset? Yeah. I mean, this UCF team is extreme, is very explosive uh, with or without Mackenzie Milton. Josh, I think probably put that as perfectly as you can um, describing them uh, now that they don't have the catastrophe of um, – what happened in the game. I think they've had uh, a week to just regroup um, and prepare the, the backup. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a little bit different of a game plan. They're probably not going to look exactly the way they did offensively, uh, but they'll still be very, very good. And that, you know, you can't discount the other 10 guys uh, or the other 21 guys, if you want to count the defensive starters. So, um, you know they're 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 extremely solid team, and Josh Heupel has done a tremendous job at rallying them, making them believe that one guy is not going to derail their season, and they just play hard. They play physical. They play fast, and and they can rip off some stuff. Uh, but Memphis, uh, they do have a chance now that Mackenzie Milton's not there. I, I don't know that. I, I just don't know. And I can't say confidently that UCF will score and can score as fast as they usually do with McKenzie Milton because I just don't think they're there just yet with with the backup. So um, they're just going to have to, um, you know, just do what they do uh, and just get the ball in the hands of Adrian Killens, uh, you know, and just get the ball out to their other playmakers in space and just – just do what they do and see what happens, and see if the new guy can uh, can can keep up. So uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. It'll be exciting to see kind of what they what they can do. All right. Well, we need to move on to our spread formations to finish out the show. No Kansas and no Rutgers this week, guys. So I don't know what we're gonna do. We're can, gonna we do start- the, can we do the Kansas basketball game and the Rutgers basketball game? Uh, I wish they were playing each other in basketball. I can't even imagine what the spread on that would be. <laughs> um. We will start in 
the Mountain West for that title game, which has taken place up on the Smurf turf in Boise. Uh, the Broncos, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Fresno State. Josh, who are you taking? Well, Fresno's been phenomenal this year, but they have a bugaboo about them, and that's the Smurf turf. So last season, they were the regular season finale. Fresno won that game 28-17. A week later up on the Smurf turf, they get shut down and lose 17-14. Earlier this season, up on the Smurf turf, Boise State beats them 24-17. Until I see Fresno get over this hump that is Albertson Stadium, and the raucous crowd in Boise and the Smurf turf and the cold and the altitude and all that stuff, I'm going to ride with Boise State. All right, Coach. Give me the Broncos. All right. Um, I want to take Fresno. My heart is telling me to take Fresno State. My record's so bad that it doesn't matter, so I'm going to take Fresno State and the Bulldogs with the upset here. I Uh, love it. We will stay on the West Coast for the game that was pushed back due to uh, the terrible, terrible wildfires up in Northern California. So we get during the Pac-12 title week, we also get Stanford at Cal. Stanford, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road in Berkeley, Josh. Well, I think they missed an incredible opportunity to play this game before the Pac-12 title game to have a wonderful wonderful double feature that would have been really exciting considering one's being played in Santa Clara the other is being played also in the Bay Area Uh, here's the thing with Stanford they have looked off just all year and despite that they've won seven games they've won the last two weeks their offense put up 40 points against Oregon State and UCLA, that's not saying much, but they've at least put up some points. They did put up 23 against that good defensive team at at Washington. They put up 38 in a narrow losing effort to Washington State. So I think Stanford, they're past their issues earlier in the year when they couldn't do little Italy squat. They're playing better, and I'm just not 100% convinced that Cal has enough offensive juice this year. Wonderful season for the Bears. They're going to a bowl game. The The program's getting turned around. But I think Stanford wins the game for at least one more year. Coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Josh. Uh, I, I just don't know that Cal um, is consistent enough to really pull this one out. Uh, give me the Cardinal. I'm going to be on the other side of you two again. Uh, I'm going with the Golden Bears. It has been an an excellent season for Justin Wilcox. I think that they have one of the most underrated defenses in the country. And I think that they are going to uh, finish off what has been a very good year for them at home against their biggest rival with the upset. I love it. All right. All right. Well, next, gentlemen, uh, we can head over to uh, Coach just southeast of us, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, uh, Middle Tennessee State, taking on UAB in the Conference USA Championship game. MTSU, a one-point favorite at home. Josh, who are you taking? Well, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, hmm, UAB, didn't they just lose this game? And that's right. They played just last week, and they lost 27-3. to But I think UAB was holding a few things back, considering they put up a grand total 
of 89 yards in the game. Mm-hmm. That's, not, uh, that's not particularly good. Nope. Um, they rushed for exactly negative one yard not in good. the game. So I'm not entirely sure what UAB's game plan was other than they were trying to get their quarterback who missed some time, A.J. Erdley. Uh, he missed three games in a row prior to that. I think they were trying to give him uh, maybe some opportunities to, to work out the kinks. I think UAB was playing stuff close to the chest. And finally, I'm just going with the sentimental team, quite honestly. This program was canceled a few years ago. They brought it back. Uh, they started this season losing early to Coastal Carolina in a blowout. They've rallied since then. They've played some great football. They have the names of kids fighting cancer on the back of their jersey. Uh, the town, ha- Birmingham's really seemed to buy into them, and they're the sentimental favorite. And also, I think they had the harder path going through Louisiana Tech and North Texas. I don't care that they are road underdogs. I'm going with the Blazers. Josh. Coach, you mean. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, Josh said he's going with the Blazers. Uh, not so and fast. I, think... I rambled. I rambled on and on. That's how much I love the Blazers. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Blue Raiders here. I think uh, Brent Stockdale is gonna have a big game, and uh, he's going to showcase his arm and and kind of really put that offense on display. All right, uh, Josh, I'm going to be with you on this one, even though I probably should take the local team here. I'm rooting for the story, and at this point, my picks are so bad that I'm just going to go with my heart, like I did with Fresno <laughs> State and Cal, doing it again with UAB. Uh, next, let's head to the Fun Belt Championship game. Uh, UL Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns, taking on Appalachian State in Boone, uh, Appalachian State, Josh, 16.5-point favorites at home. Do you think that the Raging Cajuns are going to be able to cover that spread? Yeah, I was really surprised to see that big a spread because they played each other this season in Boone, and App State won by 10 points. So I, I'm not sure where's App State getting this extra touchdown from. Uh, I know App State beat Troy, which seems like the de facto – conference title game, but Lafayette played App State, played Troy, both on the road. That's pretty tough. They were in both games, only lost to, by 10 each of them. They hosted Arkansas State, their division's best team on paper. They knocked them out. I think Louisiana Lafayette is a better team than people are giving them credit for. I think they hang around. I'm not sure they're going to win, but they're getting 16 and a half, so I will take the points. All right, uh, Coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the points. Uh, I think Appalachian's gonna, Appalachian State is going to win by two touchdowns. Um, they're going to be – Appalachian State's not one of those teams that I, that I feel like is going to just blow you out week in and week out. And, and, and ooh la la is uh, talented enough to, uh, to hang close for a little while, at least long enough to cover the spread. So give me, uh, give me the, the Raging Cages. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Raging Cages. Maybe if Coach O was on the sideline, I would take Lafayette. But I think that App State is going to walk out and uh, just tear it up. So I will take App State at home despite that big, big spread. Finally, MAC title game, Northern Illinois versus Buffalo. The Bulls, three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Josh, what side are you on? 
Well, Northern Zoe's a tough out, and the Huskies, they went 7-5 and five this year, 6-2 and two in conference, but my God, did they schedule tough. Here's their non-conference slate at Iowa, Utah, at Florida State, at BYU. So Northern Illinois earned all seven of their victories, and their division was nuts with a four, with uh, three teams behind them going five and three, a bunch of bowl teams produced from that division. Um, but I picked Buffalo in the earlier shows way back in this summer. I've had Buffalo appearing in my polls a couple of times. I love this Buffalo team. And quite frankly, Northern Illinois is coming in a two-game losing skid, I know Buffalo had a what-the-hell-just-happened game at Ohio a few weeks ago. But other than that, they were on a roll. They were steamrolling people, and they got right back in the groove a week later blowing out Bowling Green. So I'm going to go with the Bulls. All right, Coach. Well, I've, I've ridden with the Bulls this whole time, so why abandon them now? I think we've ran with the Bulls. I think that's... That's what we've been doing. I, I uh, rode a bull for eight seconds. I got bulls on parade here. Uh, I do hope that Buffalo and South Florida get to face each other in a bull 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 matchup. Uh, is there a, a stadium called the Bull Bull? God, I hope so. We'll have to if, find that if out. Not, there needs to be one. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us, Josh, unless you have anything else. Well, there's no team to talk about burying the lead, but there are some fun matchups that are a little weird. So this season's been chock full of weather issue games. Uh, There was a hurricane at one point. There was terrible weather in the Midwest opening weekend. So we have a whole bunch of just totally random games, but one that I find very curious is Iowa State playing Drake. Um, Drake is a FCS school, just like Northern Iowa, but they are the less well-known of the programs because they're in that pioneer conference where they don't give scholarships. And I will tell the story at some point. Uh, I don't have time now, but the reason Drake does that is fascinating. So Drake really does not play uh, FBS schools. I don't know the last time Drake's played one. I don't know if Drake's ever played one. I've never seen Iowa State or Iowa play Drake, but Cyclones wanted to schedule an extra game to get to 12. If they win this, they'll be at 8-4. and four. A lot better bowl games open up for them. Drake had a nice season going 7-3. and three. This is a chance for those kids to give themselves the biggest test. Drake's going to be hungry, but Iowa State should win. But I thought that was a, a delightful end of the season, something I'm curious about as an Iowan. Coach, any final words from you? Uh, no, that's that's going to that's going to do it. Uh, best of luck to all the Tennessee high schools that are competing for state championships this weekend. Uh, best of luck to you if you are competing. Hillwood oh. certainly is not. Oh, sorry. I do. I do have one final, final thing. Sorry, oh, I, forgot, I forgot to mention this one. Come on, Marshall. Make Virginia Tech pay for their shameless bowl grab. Have them go five and seven. Come on, Doc Holliday. I, I I believe that the Thundering Herd are. If I almost had that in spread formations, and I would have taken the Thundering Herd there. So, all right. Well, that is going to do it for us tonight here on Illegal Motion. So, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, 
in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois. This is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. See you next year, Arkansas. We're burying you until then. (laughs) SEC, SEC, SEC. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.